Awesome. Good job. Good job. Uh, thanks, everyone. Again, first night here, flexible. We're figuring all this out. So again, thanks for your grace as we just work out the kinks as we figure this out. Fifth location in five years. There we go. There we go. Um, as we get started this evening, we're going to kick off a brand new study on uh, the life of Moses and going through some of the book of Exodus. And then we're going to do that in June and July. And then in August, we're going to dive into the life of Joshua. So I'm excited about this, kind of these Old Testament patriarchs of our faith, Moses, and then his successor, Joshua. Uh, and so that's going to be a gr- great time. We're starting that tonight. But would you stand with me? And we're, uh, I'm going to read out of Hebrews 11, 23 through 28. Uh, I wasn't sure if we'd be able to have slides tonight. We're figuring that out. So I don't have any scriptures or slides tonight. So you can take notes on your phone if you want. Uh, we'll see what we can have for next week. But Hebrews 11, 23 through 28, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Moses and Joshua and what they teach us about you, what they teach us about ourselves and just our faith. God, I pray that tonight we'd have open ears and open hearts. And thank you again for this opportunity to come together. And God, I pray that each person that is here tonight would receive from you the word that they need to receive. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Uh, sometimes I just can't help myself. Any of you ever feel that way? You have like your personality and you're like, there's things about me. I, this is just who I am. On Friday night, we, uh, we drove in late from Wisconsin, and I barely got in time to go help coach my very first All-Star game. A couple years now, I've been helping coach Joshua's baseball team, and this year it's the fifth and sixth graders here in Maple Grove, kind of club league. And our coaching staff got to coach one of the two All-Star teams. Uh, the first place team coached half the All-Stars against us. We're the second place team, so we got to coach against each other. And one of the things I noticed is that our coaching staff, we couldn't help ourselves. We couldn't help but try to make every kid better and giving them coaching on all the other teams. I noticed the other coaches were just sitting back and not saying anything and coaching the players, but our coaches were giving tips and feedbacks to, to make these all-stars better pitchers, better hitters. And this is halfway through the season, right? Like, so we're, some of me and one of the other coaches are like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Or we're trying to make these kids better. We just can't help ourselves. This is just kind of who we are. And uh, we ended up winning that game 10 to 7. Thank you very much. Uh, it was so much fun to beat the first place coaches. But this is kind of who we were. We, we, we couldn't help ourselves. Uh, one year ago, though, I didn't coach Joshua's Little League uh, team. You know, it was COVID, and we didn't know if we were going to have a baseball season. And when they said, hey, we need more coaches, like, I just, I just don't think I can do it this year. And, and really, last year, about this time, little did I know that on July 1st, I would hit rock bottom, really, for the first time in my life, experiencing massive panic attacks and anxiety and depression. And man, what a year it has been, right? 
I mean, global pandemic. You got suicide and drug overdoses from people who are wealthy and educated down to every walk of life. We have outbreaks of violence. We've seen this last year, especially all across the world. And I know I've talked to some of you, and you're like, you know what? This year's been tough, but no anxiety, no depression. But I'm sure that even if you haven't experienced anxiety or depression, you've been affected by disillusionment. Maybe with our politicians, maybe with some of your friends on Facebook. Maybe you've quit your social media accounts, which may be the healthy thing to do. I saw a recent statistic that about 20% of people lost some close friendships or just stopped talking to a family member in this last year because of politics. 20%. But here's the reality is that there's no getting back to normal. I've heard people say this, I can't wait to get back to normal. We're not going back to normal. What we're figuring out, all of us, is what's the new normal? What's that going to look like? And the reality is none of us know for sure what things have shifted and changed in this last year forever. And so what will life look like moving forward? I don't know about you, but the future feels so uncertain. Will there be another strain of COVID? Will we have to wear masks again in the future? Will the vaccinations protect us from every different strain of COVID? You know, what will politics look like? Just so many questions about what the future holds. And so what do we do when we're not sure because none of us have ever lived through a global pandemic before, amen? <laughs> none of us have ever been married, been single, been parents through a global pandemic. And so this is all new to all of us. And now as we figure out what is the new normal, we, we look ahead and we see that the, the future seems so unknown. And so that's why we're doing this series called Following God into the Unknown. Unfortunately, we're not the only ones to face situations like this. As we dive into the life of Moses, we see God's people, their future was uncertain. When we look at Exodus, the second book of the Bible, it's a remarkable tale of God's people being liberated from slavery, and their leader was a man named Moses, and it's really just an incredible story. So what, what does this story have to do with us today in 2021? Well, not only does Exodus contain these important truths, but God has shared this story in just such an amazing, engaging way on every level. And simply put, the story of Moses, it's, it's a good story. And that's why I'm excited to, to dive into it these next couple of weeks. But it's not just a good story, it's, it's also history. It really happened. Moses really lived. And so for these next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the life of Moses to see what we can learn about ourselves, our faith, and most importantly, our God. Before we, we get to life of Moses, we have to look at kind of the environment into which he was born. That's a fundamental part of his life. When Moses had been, was born, the people of God had been slaves for a couple hundred years. As we look in Exodus 1 verse 11. See, what happened was, was God called out Abraham from the land of Ur and said, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And then Abraham had Isaac. And God reaffirmed his covenant to Isaac. And then Isaac had Jacob. And then Jacob had his 12 sons and Joseph. And maybe you've heard this story, Prince of Egypt. And Joseph gets sold into slavery. And then he rises up into power. And he, he really, God uses him to save people from this famine, this pandemic. And so all of Joseph's family, Abraham's descendants, they, they come down to Egypt and they settle there. Well, as they grow in number, the Egyptians start getting pretty worried about them. And so what happened was 
the, the people were, were afraid of these Israelites, and they decided to do some government-sponsored family planning. And really what they said was, if, if, if a Hebrew woman had a son, a boy, the Jewish midwives were to kill that boy. If they had a girl, let it live, because, you know, that's maybe a good wife for our Egyptian sons someday. And into this environment at the start of chapter 2, we see this couple is introduced into this story. God's people are living under slavery and bondage, and the king is saying, hey, kill all the boys, let the girls live. And this couple were from the house of Levi, and, and they had this beautiful baby boy. And they tried to hide him as long as possible, but they knew babies make noise. And about three months, they had to make this decision to let go. So often before we can step into what God's calling us to do next, we have to let go of that thing that may seem the most precious to us. And so Moses' parents, they, they packed him in a basket and then they, they sent him down the Nile River, crocodiles and all, trusting, God, I'm entrusting what matters most in my life into your hands. And they sent Moses down the river. And it's like a crazy story. And so they... they had Miriam, Moses' older sister, running down the Nile, watching out, and she's watching as the crocodiles maybe, you know, go after him, and he, he's going down, and, and they could never imagine what would happen next. Was that Pharaoh, the king's daughter, she was bathing in the Nile River, and she sees this little basket and this little boy, and she opens it up, and, and there's Moses inside. And the Bible tells us that she knew he wasn't an Egyptian baby boy. She knew instantly that he was a Hebrew. He was a Jewish boy. How, how did she know that instantly? Well, God had given this sign to all the males of Abraham's line to be circumcised. Only Jewish males had this done to them. They were branded. They were marked that they were different. And so Pharaoh's daughter looks and she sees this boy has been branded. He's different. He's one of those Jewish boys. But she takes him in. Well, Miriam, she runs up and she says, hey, do you need like, you know, someone to kind of be the, the, the nurse for, for this baby? And she's like, yeah. She's like, I think I know someone who might be good for this job. So she runs home. She's like, mama, mama, you'll never guess what happened. Our baby brother, my baby brother, he got picked up by uh, Pharaoh's daughter. And would you like a job, you know, raising Moses and nursing him? And like, yes. And so... Here's Moses born now into two worlds. And he's got his mom who's nursing him and raising him for the first couple of years. And then he's got Pharaoh's daughter. How many of you have ever felt like you are part of two different worlds? I know some of you have been raised in different environments and maybe you've been told, you know, and this is, this is Moses' story. As he grows up, both kind of his roots with his Hebrew mom, who's whispering in his ear, as, as he grows up, hey, Moses, you're, you're not an Egyptian. You may be raised in there. They may start educating you, but you're, you're really not one of them. See, you come from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you are one of God's people, and we worship the one true God, not all these other false gods. And you have Pharaoh's daughter, and she's whispering in his ear, Moses, you're destined for greatness, and you're going to have the best education, and you're going to learn the best science and mathematics, because someday you are going to be king, and you were born to rule, and Moses goes back and forth between these two different worlds. And it says in the Bible that as he grows up, he doesn't really fit in either place. You ever felt that way? 
Maybe, hey, you know, they're like, hey, Moses, you, you know, you, you talk different. You, you don't really fit in with the Hebrews because the way you talk, it's, it's, you're educated and, and, and you don't talk like us. So you're not really a Hebrew like one of us. But the Egyptians are like, hey, you know, we were in gym class and I saw you in the shower. And, uh, you know, uh, you're not one of us. You're, you've been marked and branded. You're a little weird, Moses, you know. And so Moses, he's, he's caught between these two different worlds and he doesn't know what his identity is. Is he a Hebrew? Is he an Egyptian? He's not sure who he is. And maybe today you feel that way too. Your identity, you feel pulled into. Maybe you grew up in Papua New Guinea and now you live in the U.S. and you don't feel like you fit in there and you don't feel like you fit in here. Maybe, you know, all your family, they, they, they are a certain religion or, you know, whatever it might be or denomination and you feel like, man, I just don't really fit in with them and their priorities that I don't feel I fit in here and, I, and I'm not sure where my place is. That's Moses, you're in good company. Moses grew up as the adopted grandson of Pharaoh and his social status was so different than all his people. He was spared their slavery. And his mom, as she whispered to him, hey, Moses, you aren't an Egyptian. This is who you really are. Eventually, as Moses went back and forth between who he was, finally at age 40, he finally starts to take a stand for who he is. If today you're still figuring all this out, that's okay. Moses took till 40. He, he had this, this tug of, am I, am I Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? I don't know who I am. And then at age 40, he sees one of the taskmasters and he's whipping one of his Hebrew relatives or maybe just another Jewish boy. And Moses interferes and he makes this terrible, terrible mistake. See, he believed that he was, had a calling and, and he knew he was a Hebrew, but also he knew his mom had whispered, hey, someday you're going to be a great leader and a general and a king. And so he steps in and he takes that passion and that purpose into his own hands and he kills this Egyptian taskmaster who was beating one of his Hebrew brothers and sisters, cousins, relative. And he hides the body in the sand and we see eventually his sin finds him out and he has to run for his life. And so he flees, and Moses is confused. And he runs into the wilderness and the desert, and after 40 years of life in the palace of other people bathing him and cutting his hair, and he's got the Egyptian haircut and the Egyptian clothes, and he's got the Egyptian jewelry, and this is his whole life. And now he's out in the wilderness, and he's running from Pharaoh and, and everything that he did. And he, he's all new to the wilderness. He's, he's got to figure this out, and he's like, I didn't learn any of this in my education. And he's got to learn which, which roots do I get water from and, 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 and how, what can I eat and how do I you know, avoid this kind of snake and he's figuring this out and eventually he runs into this beautiful girl, the daughter of a priest, Midian. And Jethro, this, this man, this priest of, in this area of Midian, takes him under his wing and Moses marries his daughter and Jethro's like, all right, Moses, you, you, you were raised, you know, fancy palace. Let me teach you all about this. And he's like, I'm going to give you a job and you can marry my daughter. And Moses is like, what's a job? I don't know what that is. He's like, you know, for 40 years, we had people that worked for us. I've never done any work. I've never done any hard labor in my life. And Jethro's like, well, that's all going to change. <laughs> I got a job for you. You're going to be a shepherd. You know, and Moses is like, I've seen those pictures of sheep. They're so 
pretty and they're cute and cuddly, then Moses actually meets some sheep. Have you ever been around sheep? My uncle used to raise sheep. They smell. They don't need to put on any uh, mosquito repellent because that's how bad they smell. And they are not all white. They are, can be dirty and they are dumb. And this is the job that Moses gets. The son of a princess who had every privilege. He knows he's born for a purpose and he tries to take things in his own hands, but he messes up. So now he's in the wilderness. How long is he in the wilderness? Another 40 years. 40 years in the palace. And now 40 years in Midian. 40 years in the desert. And again, Moses... You know what? He doesn't quite feel like he fits in still. Because if he did, you know, he would have built a house in Midian. He would have settled down, but he knows he was born for a purpose. In the end of chapter two, we learn a little bit more about Moses, but, you know, we don't really know what he looked like, what his hobbies were. But ultimately, none of that really matters. What ultimately we're going to see matters is his faithfulness to God. And how God is going to use him to do great things for his people and ultimately for the world. And the end of chapter 2 of Exodus, I encourage you to read chapter 1, 2 this week. It ends on a note of hope. Exodus 2, 23 through 25. It says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew People of God, they've been suffering for hundreds of years as slaves. They cry out to God, and God remembers them. He doesn't remember just because their cry is eloquent or they use all the right words. In Hebrew, that word for cry is zahak, and that means to shriek. They're shrieking their pain. They're saying, God, please deliver us. Their pain is a reflection of God's promise, and God is remembering his covenant with his people it means it's deciding to act upon, to fulfill that covenant. And he gazes upon them and he starts to act to free them. During COVID, the movie theater is starting to open up and uh, my son Joshua, I got to introduce him to the Lord of the Rings movies. They were showing them up in the Rogers Theater, uh, Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and A Return of the King. Any other Lord of the Rings fans, I love them. I've read the books many, many times. Uh, I know I'm an uber geek because I read The Simulrillion, which is like, history multiple times. But in the two towers, the second book, there's this people of Rohan. They're under attack and they flee to this mountain fortress of Helm's Deep. It's one of the best parts of the, all the movies. But in their last stand, they have to stay the course or they're going to be wiped out from existence. And the wizard Gandalf, he seemingly abandons them to go find some reinforcements, this army that has been sent away. And he says, before he leaves, look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn, look to the east. And it's a great scene. And on the fifth day, when all hope seems lost, Gandalf appears in the east with this large army he's gathered. And he charges the army and he defeats them and delivers the people of Rohan. That's what this is like in the, in the book of Exodus. When all hope has seems lost for the people of God and they've been living as slaves under a regime that is wiping out all the male children now, they're shrieking in their anguish to God and God hears them and sends them a deliverer. These people who could not save themselves, they were trapped, they were enslaved, there's nothing they could do to save themselves and God hears them and sends them a deliverer and his name is Moses. But the story of Moses is not so much a story about 
this man who was raised up to save them. It's about God fulfilling his promises to his people. And that same God hears our cries and he heard our cries and he sent us to deliver the God-man Jesus who died to set us free from the slavery of sin. See, in the same way the God's people were in slavery and bondage and nothing they could do, they could not free themselves. God sent to deliver Moses in the same way in our sin and shame and, and brokenness. God saw us in our mess and there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. So he sent Jesus 2,000 years ago to be our deliverer. Have you, have you found yourself this last year exhausted by the struggle? You're not alone. Last July, I hit rock bottom and I wasn't sure if I wanted to go on. But what I learned is that the battle that rages inside of us that we're never meant to fight that battle alone. When I had a massive panic attack and I should not know if I could go on, Kristen called Josh Olson, who was drumming up here, and Jeremy, one of our elders, came over and they just sat with me. And then I wept. We can't fight these battles on our own. We're not meant to live life alone. And tonight, I, if you feel like you're just one breath away from giving up, I hope I can convince you that the God who created you is fighting for you. That you know that you are worth it. The same God who created you, he's fighting for you. You cannot give up on yourself when God considers you worth the fight. On my darkest day, on July of last year, I had that thought. What if I just ran my car into this construction site and just ended it all? And that thought scared me to death. I thought something was broken in my head. I'd never had anything like that before. And this last year, I know, has been so hard. If you have those same thoughts, get some help, talk to someone, see a professional counselor. I urge you, don't give up when God considers you worth the fight. You cannot give up. God stepped into human history to fight for us. He didn't just hope for peace, he fought for peace. So if you wanna know the true marks of a warrior, you look at the scars on their hands. And in his death and resurrection, Jesus took upon himself all the violence and the chaos and the confusion of the world so that he could bring us his peace. And that same peace that you and I long for in our souls, the same peace is the, the, what the world needs. But I can't speak of peace and not speak of Jesus. For it is Jesus alone, I believe, who leads to the way of peace. And it's not always easy. It doesn't mean that as a follower of Jesus or you get baptized that everything is rosy and everything is great. It means you don't have to suffer alone anymore. It means that God has created the church, this body, to come around each other, to be there to support one another, to know each other's faces and names and say, truly, how are you doing? I really care about you. That when you're on the ground having a panic attack, you can have two friends come over and just sit with you. And they don't know what to say. When you're going through so much hurt and pain because you've lost your father or your baby, that we circle around each other to say, I'm here for you. And see, Jesus, he comes and he defeated all the powers of darkness and violence on that cross. That deliverer, just like Moses, he came and he delivers us from sin and darkness and shame and all the things that are holding us back, we can give that over to him and in exchange receive his peace. And again, it doesn't mean that everything is perfect 
And some of you have been walking with Jesus for a long time. Maybe you feel dry. Maybe you feel a little hopeless. Maybe you don't feel that peace. It's because we are in a battle. This world wants to destroy our souls. We have an enemy, amen? And this enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy isn't the other side of the political party that you voted for. The enemy isn't some other religion. The enemy isn't, you know, the people on the wrong side of the tracks or a different color of skin than you or whatever it might be. The Bible tells us we have a spiritual enemy, the devil, and we believe the devil is real. And his goal, his purpose is to kill, steal, and destroy. And right now, the devil wants you to give up. He wants you to throw in the towel on your marriage, on your faith, on your kids, on your very life. But God says you cannot give up when he considers you worth fighting for. He loves each and every one of us so, so much. And so when we feel opposition, we have to lean into each other, into community, because we're not meant to fight alone. And lean into Jesus saying, God, this is tough right now. See, sometimes God will allow things to happen to get us out of our comfort zones, to get us where we need to go. See, the truth is Moses never would have encountered the burning bush that we're going to talk about next week if he'd stayed in the palace. Amen? If he had just built some home and, you know, and, and stayed in a nice new place out you know, in Arizona, in Midian, and hadn't been out with his sheep working, you know, again, 40 years, same place, he encounters God in that place because he was doing something for God. And many times God's going to get us out of where we are, stuck in a rut, so he can get us to where we need to be. Oftentimes, eagles, what they will do is, is when, when their, their birds, the baby birds have grown up enough to start to fly, is the mama bird, she starts to make the nest more and more uncomfortable. Starts to, to, to make little pieces. And what once was comfortable, that little eaglet is sitting there and going like, hey, this isn't so good anymore. And that little bird maybe starts chirping because mama's not bringing food anymore just as that bird just sat there. And so now that bird's got to get up off their butts. And it's like, but I don't want to jump off. That's scary. And it takes a whole lot more work to soar and to use my wings. And it's just a lot easier to sit in the nest and, you know, feed me, feed me, feed me. But to step out in faith and do something, that's a lot harder. But that eagle's never going to soar if it stays in the nest. Amen. It's only when they, when they jump out and they take that leap of faith and they become like their father that then they can do what they're created to be. That's the king of the air and to soar. So maybe right now, maybe God is allowing something to happen in your life to get you out of your comfort zone to experience your calling. Maybe you made some mistakes like Moses and, 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 and you've been in hiding and you've been paying the penalty for those mistakes. But God says, hey, that's okay. There's grace and forgiveness. You can still, you still have a purpose. You still have a plan for your life. And maybe there is some spiritual opposition against your life. And what you need to do is get some friends together and say, hey, I need you to pray for me. I need you to lay hands on me. And, and, and we're going to fight this together. We're going to get some help. We're going to talk some, you know, I got some depression. We're going to talk to some doctors. We're going to get some medication, whatever that might be. But we're not going to give up, amen? We cannot give up when God considers us worth fighting for. Each and every one of you are precious in God's sight each and every one of you were designed for a purpose, on purpose. And I believe you're part of this community for a reason. A year ago, I was ready to pack it all in. 
Just say, I think I'm done being a pastor. This is just it's not worth it. If that happened, we wouldn't be here tonight. We wouldn't have been at the park last Sunday celebrating as eight people came forward to get baptized. We wouldn't have been at Miss Betty's house a couple weeks back serving her and blessing her and all the other single moms and widows that we blessed as we did our service day in, in May. And if we had cashed it in last summer, we wouldn't have had 16 teenagers at the Fossad's house at a pool party there for each other. My son, who is going through a tough time with this motor tick disorder and it's hard on him, he wouldn't have these great Christian junior high buddies around him to laugh and, and have fun with. There's a reason that we're still here, all of us. And God saw us, and God sent that deliverer, Jesus. And I truly believe that is the only way to peace. I believe with all my heart that God created us and that God loves us and God sent his son, Jesus, to take on all the violence and pain of the world and to crucify it on the cross. And then when he rose again, he said, that's all defeated, that it is finished, and now we can walk in grace and forgiveness and hope. And you know what, Christians, we mess up all the time, and we make a bad name for ourselves, and we do stupid things. And some people walk away from Jesus because we do dumb things and we say dumb things, but at the end of the day, I still believe in the church, amen? I still believe in Jesus, and I still believe that's the way to peace and truth and hope, and that we are here for good to make a difference and I believe there are people in our community around us who are contemplating suicide. And they're just one invitation away from coming into community and meeting some people who can come around them and support them and encourage them. I believe we have kids in our community who are just at home and they have no one to talk to and they have no friends, no caring adults in their lives. And God wants them to be a part of our youth group and our kids' ministry and, and to have good friendships. And I believe there are people in our community who have moved here from other states. And it's hard and they don't have friendships. And God wants them to be a part of our community or another church community, whatever that might be. And, and so perhaps, perhaps God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, saw that we were a little comfortable at Osseo Senior High School. I don't know. And so he's messing around with that nest. And, and we were like, come on, just feed me, feed me. This is good. You know, but now we got to get up and we got we to gotta spread our wings and fly. And we're looking down and we're not sure what that means, but I believe we're going to spread our wings and we're going to soar and do what God prepared us to do. And that's to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to serve and love and bless others by doing VBS and feed my starving children and other things. We're going to make disciples, apprentices of Jesus saying, hey, it's not easy. We don't have all the answers, but we can know peace by walking with Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are here. And God, I pray that anyone here who's thinking about giving up on a dream, giving up on their marriage, giving up on their kids, giving up on life itself. God, they would know that they matter and that you consider them worth fighting for. And God, each and every one of us, perhaps this last year, we've made it a little uncomfortable and perhaps that's because you are stirring us to something new, a step of faith 
And God, I pray that we would take that next step. God, for those of us who don't feel like we quite fit in here or there like Moses and we feel like we're just kind of, uh, we, don't, we don't know where we belong, God, that we would know that's for a reason. And you have a purpose for that. So God, I pray just as a community, just this summer, God, you just draw us even closer to each other, to you, God, that we would celebrate and have fun and we would welcome others and, and just bring others into this community and to remember, it's not about us, it's about you. You are our deliverer. You are our strength and you hear us when we cry out to you. Give us the courage to step into the unknown to follow you, whatever that might look like. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to do one last closing song. This is actually a song we used to do a lot in our early years as a church, and we kind of stopped doing it. Um, but I love the song. I love the words on this song so much. And you can say sitting, you can stand for this closing song, and then I'll come back up to wrap us up. Um, it just says, you know, in the good times, in the bad, I'm going to choose to follow you. And as we sing this last song, I pray that this will be your prayer as we sing this song to God tonight. Mm-hmm.